0: it's great to have everybody here. Big shout out to everybody online and everybody in the chapel and those catching the message later on in the week. Good to have everybody here. How many have had a power outage recently? How many still have power outage? Oh, I regret to uh, inform you that hopefully it'll be fixed soon. Um, That's terrible. Well, we uh, all can say this. We're very thankful that God never runs out of power. Can I hear a big amen to that? And so his power is always constant and sure and true. So we're very, very excited uh, about that for sure. I want to give a big uh, welcome back to our team from Sumba. Can we welcome them back? Yeah. Following that on Facebook, and uh, team just got back doing a lot of medical work and construction work and children's ministry, work at the House of Hope, fantastic, and I only regret you guys didn't bring back some sunshine with you, uh, instead we have a little bit of a storm around here, but uh, that's okay, We're, we, we have that once in a while. You know, uh, I had a conversation with uh, one of my sons, actually my dog's son, uh, recently, And uh, you see a picture of uh, Rex right here on the big screen. And uh, Rex said, uh, Dad, I I don't feel bad about greeting all the kids at the door for trick-or-treating. I just don't like wearing this lousy pirate suit. Uh, And you can read it all over his face. That's exactly what he's saying. He's very verbal and very communicative. And so uh, we all have our regrets, all right? All right. In fact, that's one thing that we've been talking a lot about: is this whole idea "no regrets" has a lot of bravado to it. That phrase sounds really, really great, but the reality is, every single one of us have things in our life that we look back on, and if we're honest with ourselves and honest before God, we regret. Uh, Maybe you use a different word uh, uh, when you think of regrets. Maybe you think of trials or troubles or problems or pain or difficulties or adversities or challenges. But the reality is regret is a part of this human existence. And we've been walking through this series, uh, looking at the the life of Nehemiah. I remember about a year or so ago, I was studying the book of Nehemiah and uh, dealing with a lot of people that were working through regrets. We all have regrets, I have them, you have them. And it just seemed like there was an extra amount of uh, folks dealing with stuff like that. And uh, it just kind of coincided as I was studying the book of Nehemiah. And I was just really uh, taken by how Nehemiah had his regrets and he chose to rebound and find the road back from regret, and thus the uh, development of this series. We've been looking at eight different steps of dealing with negative emotions and painful experiences, and today we're on step number five. If you're with us, you remember week number one, we talked about realizing Uh, and facing the facts that Nehemiah recognized that things were really, really bad. Nehemiah chapter one, the first four or five verses, he says, this is terrible, it's brutal, it's devastating, this is a huge problem. You know, that's where it needs to start, when we recognize that we're going through a difficulty, and if we're going to find the road back, we first need to admit that what we're going through is really, really hard. The second step is to repent. Nehemiah took ownership. He didn't cast blame. He didn't uh, you know, uh, point at other people. He said, I've sinned. My people have sinned. We've all sinned. We've blown it as a result of our sin. Judgment has come to the Israelites. That's why we've been taken into captivity. He repented. He, asked God, he confessed sin and repented and asked God for forgiveness. That's step number two, so important. And then step number three, we make our way to uh, Nehemiah chapter two. He risked recovery. He said, recovery is worth the risk. And he went to the king, even though his life was on the line, he took the risk, and he said, we can't stay where we're at, we need to somehow find a way forward, and it started with choosing recovery. And then a couple of weeks we talked about rebounding, how we need to rec- recreate a recovery plan. Nehemiah said, okay, we're not going to stay where we are, we are going to rebound, and we're going to move forward. We need to try to add dignity and respect back to the, the, the people of God, and uh You know, that's where he created the plan. There's so much detail in the first six verses or so of uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter 2. And today we're going to talk about step number 5, and that is the whole rebuilding idea where we need to put in the work. How do we find our way back from regret? Well, usually it's brick by brick, section by section, wall by wall, gate by gate, just like we read about in Nehemiah chapter 3. So I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 3. This is one of those chapters in the Bible that people like to fly by. They get to Nehemiah 3 and say, you know, I'm going to go and reread the 23rd Psalm. That that seems more inspiring. That seems more enriching. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That that seems a little more spiritually invigorating. Here in Nehemiah chapter 3, you read about people building walls, repairing gates, and dealing with rubble. And, uh, you know, it's valuable from a, uh, maybe a geography, historical standpoint, but very few people see the spiritual value of it. Uh, but I see a lot there, so I want to try to unpack that for us here in a few moments. Some of you are uh, brand new to our series, and, and I've talked each week about these books that you see on the screen because the titles uh, are, are really, really forward Uh, have a forward trajectory to them. I've read the book, so you don't have to. (laughs) I'll tell you about them from time to time, but notice the power of regret, how looking backward moves us forward. In this book, we read about the uh, World Regret Survey. The choice, embrace the possible. This story of uh, Edie Ager, who at 816 was taken uh, to Auschwitz. It's just a gruesome, horrific story, but also an awesome story of resiliency. And then bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole. I love that idea. Life is bitter and sweet at the same time, all the time. There's always things that we're really, really happy and grateful for and things that are very difficult and challenging. That's the way life seems to be. It's incongruent and ambiguous, you know, always, all the time. But uh, we can find hope in the Lord. One thing that's very interesting to me, none of these are Christian books. Even Edie who's who's Jewish, doesn't really talk a lot about her faith or about God. But hers is a story of overcoming the horrors of Auschwitz and all the incredible things that you've read about from other people. I mean, it's just terrible, beyond terrible. And yet she was able to find her way back and find the road back from regret. And I say to you and me as Christians, as people who believe in the power of God, if people can somehow rebound and rebuild their lives from regret in their own strength, how much more should we as Christians be able to do it with the power of God, amen? The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. Nothing is impossible with God, and I just want to encourage you today that whatever you're dealing with, whatever challenges you're walking through, uh, whatever difficulties family members have that you're just really burdened by, in Christ Jesus, we have the power we need to overcome. Can I hear another big amen? Amen. May God help us as we make our way back on the road uh, from regret. Now, Nehemiah had great regret, and we've talked about this in more detail in previous weeks, but let me just highlight kind of the history. You know, in 722, uh, we read about how Israel was taken captive by the Assyrians. Boom, taken off. The the 10 northern kingdoms were captive, and they never, ever were allowed to come back. In about 586 BC, the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom, just two uh, tribes of Israel, but they were able to come back, as you see, when Cyrus of the Persians took... uh, took out uh, the Babylonians in 539, and so in 538, 440, and then 430 BC, Nehemiah makes his way back to Jerusalem. Now, I've said this every week, and let me say it again for those that are new. Back in those days, a city without a wall was no city at all. A city without a wall was open to the attack of the enemy. They were sitting ducks, The rebuilt temple wouldn't last, the the restored uh, spiritual reforms wouldn't continue, Uh, the men's wives and children wouldn't survive, they'd be captive or slaughtered, Uh, their livelihood wouldn't be protected. You don't have a wall, you have no protection, it's just a matter of time. So Nehemiah knew that, and he knew that his role was really, really important. And he dealt with regret, he dealt with the devastation, the disgrace and the disreputation of the Israelites, and he was grappling with how he could make a difference. You know, everybody experiences regret. Everybody experiences regret. You know, I've read uh, Edith Eger's book that I referred to, The Choice, so so you really don't have to, although I hear from people every week that say, hey, Rob, I picked up the book, or I'm listening to it on audio, uh, you know, and that's great. It's a great story of human resiliency, but. But in her story, she talks about incredible horror and pain. In one year of imprisonment, she was on a death march from Auschwitz to Mauthausen in Austria, a camp that was created for just a few hundred people, but now housed 18,000. 18,000 people packed in, you know, just a a small area. They were sent there for one purpose— and that was to die. When she was on the death mark, she had a broken back at the time. Disease was everybody, everybody seemed to be sick. Typhus, dysentery, uh, white lice, open sores, flesh upon flesh, some uh, living and rotting. She watched as as people gnawed on horse carcasses they were so uh, desperate for food. She actually saw a man eat human flesh, as horrific as that is to even say. She saw a boy being used as target practice. There was one 21-hole latrine for 18,000 people. She was so hungry that she was reduced to eating grass. And she had to choose which blade of grass am I gonna eat? That's what her life was reduced to. Horrific, devastating. And this after her parents had been gassed to death an uncle and aunt thrown off a bridge to drown and other family members gunned down. 16 years of age, turning 17. Edith and Nehemiah had something in common. They had a choice. Do we stay buried in the rubble of our ruin or do we rise above our regret and find the road back from regret to redemption and restoration? Restoration. I dare say very, very few of us have experienced what Edie Eager experienced. And probably very few of us have been in a situation like Nehemiah where he felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. His people in disgrace, his countrymen ruined, and he had a choice. Are we going to stay ruined? Are we going to stay in the rubble? Or are we going to rebuild? In Nehemiah chapter 3, I want you to see three building requirements. And I think they are applicable to us in this way. It shows us how to rebuild our life, how to rebuild our relationships, how to rebuild a marriage, how to rebuild our faith, how to rebuild our finances, how to overcome painful and negative emotions, how to to recover from critical and despairing attitudes. And the first is this. Rebuilding requires work. You say, Rob, that is too simplistic. I could have slept in. Man, I could have just had a great day in my pajamas all day long. I came to church for this. Well, hang in there. It gets better. In Nehemiah chapter 3, I want you to notice something very, very basic, but I think it's profound. The walls did not rebuild themselves. God is fully capable. He created the universe ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. He literally spoke the cosmos into existence. Let there be light. You know, let the seas be teeming with with water uh, with you know with with beasts of the sea and and fowls of the air in the firmament. I mean, he just spoke it into existence. Uh, Jesus said to Lazarus, Come forth, spoke it into existence. Jesus rose from the dead just miraculously. God is fully capable of of going to the walls of Jerusalem and boop, 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 building it, you know, from the bottom to the top in perfection. But you want to know some? It seldom works that way. You look at the New Testament, the early church was built not by God just snapping his fingers. No, the early disciples turned apostles had to work their tails off. Church by church, area by area, they had to build the early church. And you can find so many examples throughout scripture. And this one here in Nehemiah chapter 3, I want you just to think about the fact that for them to rebuild and and accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish, it took hard work. Look at Elisha in verse number 1. The high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. The men of Jericho built adjoining section. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. The dung gate was rebuilt. The found gate was rebuilt. God could have spoken it into existence, but like his truth throughout scripture, we pray as if it depends on God, but we work as if it depends on us. A lot of times in Christian circles and in spiritual conversations, you know, people kind of uh, step back and say, well, I'm just going to pray about it. Well, that sounds really spiritual, but the reality is usually prayer and work go together. We pray like it depends on God, but we work like it depends on us. We gotta get to work. We gotta, we gotta go for it. We gotta do what God has called us to do. In many ways, that's called obedience. Step after step after step. Three words summarize chapter three. Get to work, or maybe you like brick by brick, or maybe you like prayer plus work. Where is it in your life that you need to do some rebuilding. You say, Rob, I know this work. Yeah, I get that. Well, knowing isn't really the, the main idea. Doing is the main idea. I know I need to exercise every day, and I know I need to eat right. Knowing doesn't do any good. How many know what I'm talking about? I need to do it. And right there, I ruined my lunch, because now I have to eat better. I had great plans for lunch today, out the window. Knowing is not the same as doing. You know, I know I need to do this in my marriage. I know I need to do this in my finances. I know I need to do this in my faith. I know I need to do this in my speech. I know I need to do this in my attitude. I know I need to do this here, there, the next place. Knowing is not the same as doing. And that's what Nehemiah shows me. He knew it would take work, but that wasn't enough. He went to work. So what are you doing? What am I doing? What are we individually doing about what needs to be done in our lives? What work are you putting into rebuilding your life? Your reputation, your morality, your attitude, your faith, your relationships. The wall didn't rebuild itself. We must overcome the addiction. We must work through the pain. We must learn from our mistakes. We need to restore that particular relationship. We need to get counseling. We need to seek forgiveness. We need to find a job. We need to go back to school and get that education. It takes work. Just soak in this for a moment. Just kind of saturate it in for a moment. Just say, God, where in my life do I need to apply this very, very simple but profound principle? Are you putting in the work, friend, to repair your marriage? Your marriage is worth investment. How about your kids, your relationship with your kids? Maybe you need to rebuild your career or rebuild your faith or rebuild another relationship. Maybe you need to recover from loss that has devastated you for months and years. Maybe you need to recalibrate your finances. How can you and where do you need to go to work? Maybe you need to get counseling for your marriage. Maybe you need to work harder at developing in that relationship with your kids. Maybe you need to work harder at rebuilding your career. Maybe you work harder at finding ways to bring healing to your emotions. Maybe we need to put in the work by by going to counseling or taking classes or reading important literature, joining a support group, You know, building it into our budget, finding accountability, being responsible, praying harder, studying scripture more. What's that one area? What's that one area? Before you leave here today, what's that one area that God wants you to put in the work? Number two, rebuilding requires change. Nehemiah chapter three, there's lots of conversation about gates and sections of walls and folks helping do this and that, the one thing that comes, I come away from reading chapter 3 is that change was required. The status quo was unacceptable. Nehemiah looked at the condition of the walls and they were broken down, they were in ruins, it was all about the rubble. And he said the status quo is unacceptable. You know, friends, that is one of the most important lessons that we can learn from this chapter, is there are times we need to look in the mirror and say, the status quo is unacceptable. Me mistreating my spouse is unacceptable. Me living a life of sin is unacceptable. Me doing this, me doing that is unacceptable. It needs to change now. Can I hear a big amen out there? Or am I only preaching to myself here today? It's unacceptable. It was to Nehemiah. Ruined walls and destroyed gates and sections, devastated. It was unacceptable. The status quo was unacceptable. Change had to happen. Where does change need to happen in your life? Say, well, I've got it together. I'm perfect. Well, you're the only one. Because I'm not. And everybody else here isn't. We don't usually think that through. We give ourselves a pass a lot of times. And say, hey, I'm fine, it's okay, no big deal. We would be better to say the status quo is unacceptable. We need to change, we need to grow, we need to mature, we need to become who God wants us to be. Notice here it says the fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, the son of Kolhosa. By the way, some of you uh, young couples that are getting ready to have children, these are some great names for your children. I mean, this is packed. Chapter 3 is packed, full of great names. Uh, These guys rebuilt and rift it and put in doors and bolts and bars in place. They repaired the wall of the Pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. I mean, just look at all the changes. They're repairing, they're rebuilding, they're roofing, they're putting in doors and bolts and bars and sections of wall. I mean, there's just quite a bit of things going on. Lots and lots of change. That phrase, Pool of Siloam, jumps out to me. I'm going to be standing there in the middle of the pool of Sloan, in five months, when we uh, take a group of people from our church to the Holy Land. Some of you will be on that trip. I've been there before. It's really a powerful spiritual place because this is where Jesus healed the blind man. Remember the story in John chapter 9? There was a blind man who Jesus encountered, and the blind man wanted change in his life, he wanted to see. And Jesus wanted change in the man's life so he could see. So what did Jesus do? A little grotesque maybe, but he, you know, he spit uh, into the mud and he took uh, the mud and put a mud pack on the guy's eyes. Remember that story? And he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The guy obeyed. He did it. And, 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 he, and he washed his face and he said, I can see. Once I was blind, but now I see. Change. Blindness to great visibility. Where do we need to change? Where do we need to ask God for change? Where do we need to believe for change in our lives, in our relationships, in our faith, in our finances, in our career, in our education? I found it interesting just thinking about, okay, here's Nehemiah kind of repairing the walls and the pool of Siloam and everything. And then many, many years later, we got Jesus healing a man in the pool of Siloam. I know that Jesus could have healed the man regardless of what Nehemiah did. He could have had him go wash, you know, in the Sea of Galilee or who knows where. But I just thought it was interesting that Nehemiah had his assignment and he was faithful and obedient. And as time went on, there were a lot of people that were blessed as a result of it. And then I thought to myself, nobody is blessed when we're disobedient and we don't rebuild. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. He, he did what he needed to do. Without that, blessing would not have come to the work of God, the people of God. Nothing good happens when we don't rebuild our lives, rebuild our relationship, rebuild our faith. When we settle for the status quo of brokenness and rubble and ruin, that doesn't help anybody. Where are you settling for the status quo? Where does God want you to grow and step up in your faith, in your relationships, in your obedience to God? It's an interesting thought. Nehemiah's faithfulness to bring change brought new hope, new dreams, a new spiritual life, and new worship. God wants to bring hope and change to our lives. New worship, uh, new dreams. I don't know who to give this quote credit too, because I've read it in various places and uh, you know, I don't know who was the first to come up with it. So it's not for me, but I think it's a great quote. Uh, someone once said, until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain to change, we're not gonna change. We just keep shuffling along through life. You know, I'm not gonna really change because that's gonna take a lot of work and, and a lot of effort and I, I don't really wanna put in the time or the effort. Nehemiah chose to rebuild. He chose to change the trajectory of the Israelites. From disgrace and discouragement, all of a sudden, hope and a brand new vision. We have a choice to change and begin a brand new trajectory in our life. Where is God wanting to do that? Today is our chance to change. We need to choose to change and rebuild our feelings and rebuild our faith and rebuild our future and rebuild, you fill in the blank. For Nehemiah, the choice to rebuild was a choice to change. Number three, rebuilding requires intentionality, specificity, and purpose. Notice the detail in chapter three. Verse 20 says, next to him, Baruch, son of Zabi, zealously, I love that word zealously, repaired another section. From the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. I mean, there's just a lot of specificity in here. Next to him, Padiah, the son of Parosh, notice all these great names, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel made repairs up to the point opposite the water gate, and you thought the water gate started in 1970s. Here it is, right in the Bible. Um, Toward the east and projecting tower, Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projection tower to the wall of Ophel. And there's just a lot of specificity, a lot of intentionality, a lot of purpose. You know, doors and angles and gates and walls and sections and, and priests and people and families and tribes. Just a lot of stuff going on here. Brick by brick, section by section, gate by gate. Wall by wall, the rebuilding happened. Rebuilding requires intentionality, specificity, and purpose in our lives as well. I want you to think about that for a moment. What relationships do you need to proactively rebuild? Think about that for a moment. What hope do you need to proactively rebuild? What attitudes do you need to rebuild? What, what emotional healing growth do you need to participate in rebuilding? Where do you need to overcome pain and disappointment? What career issues? What financial problems? What faith concerns? Since we're talking about specificity and intentionality, think about relationships for a moment. Think about a broken relationship. We all have had relationships that have gone awry a bit and have had to rebuild those, or maybe you are in that situation right now. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's with your children, maybe it's with your parents, maybe it's with extended family or or people at work or on and on it goes. If you were to come up with a plan, you know, a several point plan on what the Bible says about how to rebuild that relationship, what would it be? What would that list include? And let me just give you a few. You would include many of these and maybe all of these, but the first place I would start is ask for God's help. God, I have a broken relationship here, a relationship that's struggling. I need to rebuild this bridge. God, I need your help. And then secondly, I would go to that person and say, Hey, uh, I want you to know that uh, you matter to me. And then I would affirm them. You know, our relationship is important to me. You're important to me. I would really love to see us uh, inch closer to reconciliation. And then I would ask for forgiveness where it's appropriate and receive their request for forgiveness where that's appropriate. Every relationship is different and every challenge is different. And then I'd keep working at it. How many have found that uh, relationship breaches aren't necessarily completely healed in one conversation or one prayer or one moment or one encounter? A lot of times it takes time. Are we willing to keep working at it or are we going to give up? And then I would practice love, acceptance, and forgiveness. I love you. I accept you. I forgive you. Love, acceptance, forgiveness—that's what it means to live, love, and lead like Jesus. And then, and then I kind of, maybe part B of the same point is I would remind myself of the importance of loving unconditionally. See, love is unconditional. Uh, Respect and trust—that's got to be earned. That's a little different. But if we can't start with unconditional love, we're going to have a hard time many times getting to rebuilding trust and uh, appreciation and connection. Specificity, purpose, intentionality. What are the specifics God wants you to employ in your area, whether it be your career, your finances, your faith, or your relationships? Listen, Nehemiah refused to be ruined by resentment. How about you? He refused to be buried by bitterness. How about you and me? He refused to be crushed by contempt. How about us? He chose to rise up, and so must we. Let me close with an illustration. Final story. There's a book I read some time ago entitled Option B. It's a very provocative title, especially in light of what we're studying And the subtitle is Facing Adversity, Building Resilience and Finding Joy. Basically, if we were to title it, we would say, The Road Back from Regret. And it's a story of of a lady in the prime of her life, married to the love of her life, Dave. And I mean, two little kids are at the high point of their career, everything is flying right along nicely. And there was great love, they loved each other as much as you could ever imagine. And then all of a sudden tragedy upon tragedy hit. They're attending a family wedding in Mexico and a bunch of the family's by the pool and she says, hey, where's Dave? And one of the brothers said, I think he's working out at the gym. She goes up to the gym and horror of horrors, she finds him laying on the ground in a pool of blood. Rush him to the hospital, make a long story short, he passes away. Her life is shattered. Her kids are broken. She said, I felt certain that the kids in me would never, ever find joy again. She said, a vast emptiness fills one's heart and lungs and restricts your ability to even think or even breathe. Have you ever been there? Some of you have. I mean, your entire inner spirit and soul is just crushed, fractured splintered. Her book talks about the stories and the steps on her road back from regret if you will. She talks to people who experience hardships from illness, job loss, a sexual assault, natural disasters and more. And in the book she says all I wanted was Dave. That's her husband who passed away. All I wanted was Dave. And she said this to a friend, all I wanted was Dave. And here's what her friend replied. Her friend said to her, option A, Dave, is no longer available. But as your friend, I want you to know I will do everything in my power to help you make the most out of option B. You know, I don't know if you thought about it this way, but a lot of life isn't only about option A. Jesus never promised option A. Jesus never promised perfection. Jesus never promised, hey, you're going to sail along through life. There's going to be no problems. In fact, if you read Scripture, there's going to be a lot of option Bs involved. And the question is, how are we going to handle the option Bs? How are we going to handle the regret? How are we going to handle the hurt? How are we going to handle the hopelessness? How are we going to deal with discouragement and pain? And that's where the story of Nehemiah, the Nehemiah plan, if you will, is so helpful. Nehemiah experienced all of that and yet he chose to rebuild. He chose to put in the work. He chose to embrace change. And he chose to think about purpose and intentionality and specificity. Would you bow your heads with me And would you just think about that area that I asked you to think about at the beginning of the message. What area in your life do you need to put in the work? What area of your life do you need to affect change? Where do you need to employ specificity, intentionality, and purpose? We pray like it depends on God, but we work like it depends on us. Where do we need to get after it? Where do we need to say the status quo is unacceptable? With every head bowed and every eye closed, Nobody looking around. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor Rob, as you have been walking through this message, I have been thinking about one area of my life where I need to to rebuild. I need to believe God to rebuild that area of my life. And I'm willing to put in the work, make the change, and be purposeful. Would you just raise your hand? There's an area that you really want to see rebuilt. You know, Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your faith. Maybe it's any number of other things. God bless you. Many people in our church family say, yes, yes, there's an area, there's an area that I really desire to rise above and move forward. I am willing to put in the work. I want to make some changes. I'm willing to be purposeful. Right now, I want to encourage you to give that to the Lord. Just say, Lord Jesus Christ, name it, call it out, this area, I want to, God, I want to, I really want to work on this area. I want to I bring change to this area. I want to be purposeful in this area. God, I'm willing to pray like it depends on you, but work as it depends on me. The status quo is unacceptable. I want to grow. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor Rob, I'm kind of kicking the tires of faith. I haven't really committed my life to Jesus or maybe I did in the past and kind of veered off course but today I want to recommit my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just simply pray, Lord, come into my life, forgive me my sins. I want to follow you. There's a connection card in front of you, friend. Fill it out. Just say, hey, today I prayed the prayer and join me on Wednesday nights in our new believers class, Basic Christian Beliefs. I'd love for you to be a part of that. Lord, I pray your blessing on everybody that's here those that are new in their faith, those that have been walking in Christ for a long time. I particularly want to pray for those, God, that have been struggling with areas of of regret that has ruined them and, and caused them to stay stuck in the rubble. Today we pray collectively, Lord, we want to rebuild, we want to rise above the rubble and ruin, and we want to find redemption and restoration in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Heal hearts. Heal damaged emotions. Repair broken hearts and minds and spirits. Restore relationships. Give us hope and purpose for a brand new future in many areas in our life. Work in each and every everyone's heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. There's a connection card in front of you, friend. If you have a special prayer request, please let us know about it. And uh, if you committed your life to Christ or want to be water baptized here next week, let us know about that as well. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a closing song. And uh, in the chapel, the host pastor will dismiss our service there. And online, our host pastor will dismiss. Let's let's sing a closing song, and then we'll be released uh, in just a moment.